The next section of uh, text or uh, paragraph in our uh, statement of faith and practice is entitled Human Sexuality. And as you can probably understand, uh, this topic sometimes makes us uncomfortable, sometimes uh, makes us say, hey, we don't want to talk about this stuff. And uh, sometimes to our harm, we don't talk enough about this stuff because we're uh, not sure how to handle or what to say about it. And uh, there's just something I just want to say from the beginning up, up front here. There's something as uh, I was contemplating this week, and I don't know that we always, I, I don't know that I can even get to the bottom of, and I don't know that any of us can. Maybe we can. We can try to unveil a little bit this morning. There's something about the, 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 the connection between what happens physically in our bodies and with us and with our bodies and, and the spiritual implications of those things. Like there's a, there's a union there that I don't think we fully understand. The only reason I say that is because I think from what I'm going to teach you this morning from the Word of God is that God makes it clear in the Bible that that exists. And perhaps one of the, the big struggles we have seen in our culture, but let's, I think we need to just sort of get out of the way right away this morning that, that we are somehow in some, in some unique cultural place that like humans have never been before in regards to human sexuality. That's not true. This has been uh, one of the primary struggles uh, with culture, with humans for the ages. And I believe what we're going to read this morning is going to illustrate a bit of why that's true. That there is, whether we would like to try to deny it and say it's just our body. In fact, let me, well, let me interrupt myself here. There, there, there's, a, there's an entire segment of, of Christianity, was, what was Christianity, that, that was pulled away, and we call it a heresy now, but was pulled away with this idea that, that our bodies, our physical bodies, have nothing to do with what Jesus had to do about, and as long as we are somehow right spiritually, we can do whatever we want to physically. Like, like the, the physical is all evil, and it's all going to get destroyed, and, and, and that has, that's nothing, like, like sort of separating those, and honestly, there's actually two different heresies inside of it that, that have been expressed. Both are incorrect, because both deny that the Bible is clear that there's a connection between what happens here and what happens, like what happens physically here and what's happening in the spiritual realm of, of our hearts, our souls, our relationship with the Lord, all of those things. In some ways, we're going to see a lot of overlap, and I, I, almost, I almost move these around because of this, but in some ways, we're going to see a lot of overlap, a lot of things that are sort of strengthened and helped uh, work together between this message today and uh, several weeks ago when I did a message on marriage in the home, simply because of the interplay between those two things. Let me begin by just putting up the, what the beginning statement is, just to say where our stance is. We believe that sanctified sexuality, which is a strange phrase, and I, I'm not sure how that phrase came about or what that, but, but, but that God ordained, God um, uh, done God's way, sexuality encompasses all that God has intended persons to be as males and females. So we've already well covered the ground that God uh, created us as males and as females, right? That's, that was way back in the study of theology, and we touched on it again during the, uh, during the sermon on marriage. But here it is again, that, that God has intended something for males and females, and that what he intended in the physical union of those two is something very precious and is exactly something very good and is something that God wanted. It's not an evil thing. It's not a bad thing. It has brought about a lot of bad. It has been perverted in many ways. And, and maybe I should just say this up front. 
I suspect, I suspect that if we were to know, like definitively know, like unequivocally, a big word, like, like without a doubt, know, have our eyes opened and know how much sexual immorality there is in the church, not out there, I'm not talking about out there, in the church, I think that we would be shocked and awed and discouraged and frightened and angered and we would be left wondering how can this be and it tells me I say that not to discourage you I say that to say this is a vitally important this means a lot there's something that we're going to see all through scripture that God has much to say about this and not just, it's going to be like the marriage discussion, not just because of what it means here. You know, we, we, we boil it down to discussion about how this is for me, but because it represents something far, far deeper than just when I struggle with lust, when I have an addiction to pornography, when I commit adultery, when I'm involved in premarital sex, when I'm doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing with my body when I'm thinking stuff I shouldn't be thinking about what I'd like to do. All of those things. I'm not here this morning. In fact, I don't even know them. I didn't look them up. The message is not about to tell you or convince you of all the problems we have in the church. You could do that. I could probably spend all morning doing that, sharing statistics and things. That's not the message I want to preach. Because I believe this statement is true. That there's something God actually wants to teach us, not in focusing on the harmful. In fact, we're going to spend little time with that. But to illustrate what God's word says as a basis for why we say that anything outside of the physical union between a man and a woman married to each other is sinful. If you were to read the first 10 chapters of the book of 1 Kings, you would read an incredible uh, description of how David, who was an incredible man of God and one of the most famous, well-known, uh, deservedly so, kings of the, of the nation of Israel, you would see how he passed away and he gave his throne to his son Solomon at God's request. And you would see Solomon begin to grow in his relationship with God. And you would, be, be, you would read this wonderful, uh, this incredible story of how Solomon gave himself to God and and yielded himself to God and asked for God's help and God blessed him and all the incredible things Solomon did. All the wealth he had, all the buildings he built, all the incredible things that Solomon did and how he led the people of Israel very faithfully. If you were to read the first 10 chapters, you would think this man is certainly the son of David. He is certainly filling the shoes of his father David. And then you come to chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 starts this way. Now Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. He named some of them, the countries where they came from, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart after their gods. 
Solomon, it says, however, clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Verse 5, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Let me say it again. Verse 7. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives. How many did he have? So he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Here we have in the midst or on the heels of this incredible buildup, what, what begins as what should be, uh, we would think is the most exciting, fantastic book for the people of Israel to read. It's the chronicles of how God has, has just wonderfully worked through the nation. And it began, it came right on the heels of David who was a man of God. And his son Solomon picks up the mantle and he charges forth and he brings the kingdom to new heights they've never attained before. And then you read verse, chapter 11 and you read how Solomon began to lose the favor of God, began to whittle away the kingdom, began to bring about God's disapproval, began to let things fall apart, began to spiritually and religiously stray from what God had intended, and it came through the mechanism of his love for his wives. Now, although the story can be read and perhaps could be stretched or talked about how there's example of you know, sexual immorality and things that don't belong, and so that's the, the problem. The real problem I want to unveil comes right in, uh, in, in sort of the, it's toward the, toward the beginning of the text there. Let's see, it's, it's the end of verse 2, actually. I'll just put the line up here for you. Solomon clung to these, his wives, he clung to them in love. And you might think I'm going to highlight the word love and what love is all about and how we mistake that. That's not my concern either because it's actually the word clung that I'm really interested in this morning. As we begin to unfold the, what we have to talk about or what the, what, where we come from when we talk about uh, our reasoning for saying that if you have a physical union with someone outside of marriage, you're an heir. The word clung, it's the Hebrew word dabak. Dabak means to cling to or to hold fast or to cleave, which is a word we understand because we hear it in Scripture. That's why I stuck it in there. We don't really know it. We don't use it in any of the context, but to cleave or to join together. As you're well familiar, of course, this is the word that appears way back in the book of Genesis, right? Way back in the book of Genesis when God created Adam and there could be found no suitable helper for Adam. We've gone through this. We've laid this foundation multiple times. I don't need to spend time with it. Uh, he brings forth Eve out of, uh, out of the side of Adam. Adam sees her, and he says, Behold, this is the woman. Uh, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her woman. She came out of me. And it says, Therefore, in verse 24 of chapter 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall hold fast, shall daw back to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, the, the crux of it, or the, the, the critical piece of all of what I read in, in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 was, I mean, there were other issues. Don't make, don't make a mistake. I mean, I, I, I say this halfway sung in cheek, halfway very seriously. There were many issues. If the guy wanted to have 700 wives, that's a problem, right? I mean, that's kind of crazy in my opinion, but that's a problem. But the primary issue was that he clung to them. 
He joined himself. He held fast to them. And when that holding fast, that physical, that's a physical term, by the way. I should maybe stress, that's a physical term. That holding fast, that joining, that's a physical term. When he did that, it inevitably began to move his heart away from where it should be. Now, this word is used a number of times. I want to illustrate that for us this morning. This word, dabak, is used a number of times. Now, of course, it's used in the context I just did, between husband and wife, between man and woman, in that kind of physical union. But it's used in other ways, too. I want to explore them. In fact, uh, when Moses, who is another one of Israel's greats, when he comes uh, and he wants to share uh, what God is saying to him, to the people of Israel, he does this at the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy. He lays out all the, the, the rules, all the ways that God wants him to follow. And he uses this word several times. Let me illustrate one of them. He comes through the, you know, we know chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We know it because we, as families, we talk about you should teach your children diligently. There's all these rules you should follow. We know all those things, but if you keep tracking through, Moses keeps on talking. He keeps reminding them, you're a chosen people. You're, you're, you're a people of God. You, you don't belong with the rest. You're a people that God chose, and he, he wants to work through you. You should remember him. You should, you should rely on him and all those things. And he talks about how, you know, you've had some moments of walking. You had this golden calf thing, but God wants you back. He wants you to be right before him. He gave you new tablets of stone. He gave you new requirements. He reissued his covenant with you and he said, would you join that covenant? Here's my covenant. Would you enter into this covenant with me? And then he comes, we come to Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 12 and I'm going to read a couple of verses for you. Moses says this, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What does it require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep his commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for good. They're for your good. Behold, he says, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet, pay attention, church. God, to God belongs the heaven and the heavens of the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all people are as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great and mighty and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. And we begin to unfold the first linking between this phrase that is used and the physical union of two people to say it is standing in place for it is a type it is representing the highest union possible that is pointing not just to that union but it's pointing to the kind of union you are to have with God who has made a covenant with you that's what it says you shall fear God you shall serve him you shall hold fast you shall daw back you shall join yourself you shall cleave you shall cling to him and by his name you shall swear it's in his name you shall put your trust. Moses took 
what was the physical example in front of them and said, just as you should understand what happens when a father leaves his family and a mother leaves her family, uh, I should say, a, a man leaves his family and a woman leaves her family, and the two join together and they become one flesh. And it maybe begins with an emotional intimacy, emotional union. It may be further with a mental union or intimacy, but it culminates with a physical intimacy or union, and that is actually the representation of the kind of union you have with God. Now, he continues to unfold this. I want to let you participate a bit here. I have a couple of verses here. Again, if you don't already know this, there's a handout on the backside of your, of your bulletin. You can follow along. All the references, everything I'm, I'm going through this morning, for the most part, unless something comes up spur of the moment, is going to show up on here. But I just want to keep going through this a little bit because as Moses keeps on instructing the people, he's going to return to this word dabak several times. So if you were to follow through, in chapter 11, he goes on and says, you should love and you should serve God. And he says, if you will do that, well, I'll just let you read it. Would someone like to read out loud for us chapter 11, verse 22 and 23? Chap- Go ahead. Did you catch what God says to them? He says, I'm exhorting you through Moses. I'm exhorting you to to make this decision that you will leave your father and mother. You will leave your family and you will cleave unto me. You will be joined to me. You will hold fast to me. And if you do that, now this is a a real group of people. They're in a real place and they're uh, looking into the promised land where God wants wants to lead them. And he says, if you will do that, then I will lead you to that place and I will take care of your enemies. I will drive them out. I will dispossess those people. I will move you in and give you the land that I've said I will give you. Now, if I can, if I can pull that into today for you, because not many of us are going out and conquering lands and establishing new towns. That's not really where, where God is calling us. But I can tell you with, with definitiveness, with definity, with, I can tell you certainly that when we pull this to us today, it is to say this, that God says, if you will leave your native land, your humanity, your flesh, if you will leave that and join yourself to me and hold fast to me and become one with me, just as you see father and mother, husband and wife do, if you will do that, I will take care of the enemies that are in your life. And I don't mean physical. I mean the sinful bondages that present themselves in your life. Now, there's all kinds of twisting that happens with this, and I want, to be, I want to be very clear and very careful. But I also will not back away from a simple, faithful understanding of God's Word. I would suggest to many of us, if there are things that we cannot get rid of in our lives, that perhaps we have not clung to God like we ought to. We have not joined our hearts to His as we really should and need to. I don't mean to make trivial the things that we struggle with, that I struggle with. I'm right with you. I have my own set of battles that I face that have not just melted away. But the victory I have found, and I am sure will continue to be true, is when my heart is knit, is clung to, is dabakt. When I join myself to God, when I declare that I'm one with you, that union with you. He gave the promise, not me. It's not my words. It's not my promise. It's his promise. Do you trust him or not? 
But he goes on as he continues to use this, this picture of the physical union. He continues to say, now let's jump over to chapter 13 and look at verse 4. Somebody read it, and I'll tell you what context it's in after you read it. Somebody read 13, verse 4. We're going to hear lots of the same thing, so maybe you think it's, it's too much repetition. I think repetition in this case is good, because if Moses saw fit to repeat himself, I think we should see fit to repeat ourselves. Sounds a lot like everything else, right? But in the context of this time, it's... Him saying, now you're established. Now he's taking care of those things. He's brought you into a nation. But you continue walking because there will be some that come from within you that want to lead you astray and say, come, let's worship these idols. Come, let's follow after this God. Come, let's do this. This is probably okay. This is, this is not so bad. And he says, no, you shall not listen to them. You shall turn away from them. God is testing you to know whether your heart is really with him or not. For it is God that you should fear. It is God that you should love. It is God that you should serve. It is God to whom you shall knit yourself to. You shall join yourself to. You shall cling to. Now, if we're talking about clinging, and we're talking about things that are from not from God, he actually addresses that. Go just a couple of verses later in chapter 13 and look at verses 17 and 18. Someone read those out loud for us. Now, he's warning them. The context is he's warning. He's saying, now, when you go in, there's going to be things there. And if you hang on to them, if you keep them, they're going to lead you astray. I just warned you about that. And you might think it's in the second verse that, that Les read for us when he talks about obeying God. Because that's where we've typically found this word back. In the second verse, he says, you should love him. You should obey him. It's not actually there. It's in the first verse when he said, now, it's interesting. When Les read that, that word is lost. There's, it, it's kind of veiled. Verse 17, none of the devoted things or accursed things in the ESV, it says, shall stick to your hand. You know, that's the word dabak. In other words, you shall not let anything that is from other gods or other idols or that is not from God stick to you. You shall not hang on to it. You shall not cling to it. It shall not cling to you. By the way, it's, picture the phrase that Jesus gave if you, want to, if you want a visual to kind of join with this, picture the phrase that Jesus gave when he sent them out two by two into villages to bring the gospel to people. And he said, if they will not receive you, what are they to do? They are to walk out and shake off the dust so that none of the dust may cling to even your shoes. That's the same word. We're going to get to that New Testament word in a little bit. But that's the same word. It's the same idea. We are laying a basis, if for lack of a better way to put this, we're laying a basis for purity. Your heart is to be for the Lord, and anything that gets in the way of that, if I can use the sexual term, is pulling you towards adultery. Now, if you're saying to yourself, all right, Merlin, we're in the New Testament. You've spent the entire time so far in the Old Testament, you're telling us stuff about all this stuff, but we're now, uh, we're with Jesus, we're in the New Covenant. Let's get to the stuff over there. Well, I'll say two things to you. The first is, not so fast, my friend, for there's so much in the Old Testament that underlies or underscores what Jesus himself taught. 
I think it was his words. I think it, I'm quoting Jesus correctly when he says, I'm not doing away with what the Old Testament says. That's my paraphrase, but I'm not doing away with what the Old Testament says. I'm fulfilling it. And it would be a mistake for us to think that Jesus fulfilled it and expects us or allows us then to do whatever we want to not fulfill it. I think that would not be following Jesus. That's kind of literally in the terms, right? Like he is our leader. We follow him. But the second thing I'll say to you is your wish will come true. We'll go to the New Testament. I want to illustrate one thing for you because we have this incredible story that Jesus says. We call it the story of the prodigal son. You know the story, right? This man, the son, has a, has a father. His, him and his brother have a father, and he wants to go do what he wants to do. He's, he says, he goes to his dad and says, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance now. He takes it. His dad gives it to him. He takes it. He walks away. We know that he, he squanders it in wild living. He does all kinds of wicked stuff. One of my favorite stories. I've told you that before. But as we come to the New Testament, as we bring this into, into that, the new covenant kind of teaching understanding, I just want to bridge the gap here. There's a phrase in there. When the, when the, when the son goes and, he, uh, and he, he's out of money, right? He has wasted all of his stuff. What does he do? What does he do? Someone tell me what the next part of the story is. What does he do? He's wasted everything. He's, uh, he has no more money left. He's got nothing left. What does he do? What's that? He does eventually. He doesn't right away. So, what? Even before he comes to his senses. We're not actually quite to the bottom yet. There's a really critical piece of something that happens. You were going to say something. What were you going to say? He feeds pigs. Luke chapter 15, verse 15 says, So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and what that citizen did is he told him to feed the pigs. Now, it's a little hidden in there as well. If you're reading the King James Version, by the way, it's a lot clearer because it says that he went out and joined himself to one of the citizens. Do you know what that word is? That's the word kolaho. Kolaho, we're now in the Greek because the New Testament is written in Greek, but the word kolaho corresponds to the Hebrew word I showed you earlier, which is dabak. It means to stick together, to stick something together, to join or to glue. And can I just tell you, can I just encourage you, Young and old alike, that last phrase there, to glue, is I think one of the most instructive phrases in regards to this discussion of, 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 of purity and of, of how to be, uh, conduct ourselves, how to really honor God's desire for sanctified sexuality between male and female, those kind of things, to glue. Because when we begin to talk about the joining of people, it's this word, kolaho, which means to glue. And when you glue things together and then you want to bring them apart from each other again, what's the result? What happens? It's not easy. Whatever you're putting together is probably going to tear. At the very least, it's painful. Can I encourage you? Can I encourage you, please, 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 to think, if you're a young person especially, but every age, because none of us are immune to this, it may begin in the most insidious or hiding ways, but when the union starts to come, when intimacy starts to come, it may begin emotionally, it may begin mentally, but the progression, if it is moving to this physical kind of union, it is you putting glue and joining yourself to something that ought not to be, and when it becomes a part, there will be pain and suffering and torment. It will not do you any favors. It is not where you want to be. And I know, as I'm looking around, I know there's those of us sitting among here that are looking back in our lives and recognizing the truth of what I'm saying right now and can tell you, whether they're willing to tell you or not, can tell you, I regret the things that I did because of this. 
because of the way I glued myself to something that was not what it should be. And ungluing hurts. Before we go further and do any kind of teaching, I want to just read. I thought it would be helpful since I'm not spending a lot of time with these phrases or doing anything like this necessarily at all. I thought it would be helpful to just read to you the rest of what our statement says in Statement of Faith and Practice. After the line I gave you earlier about sanctified sexuality, we say it is in violation of God's will to engage in sexual relationships outside of the marriage of one man to one woman. We furthermore follow that up by saying we believe the Bible forbids lust, pornography, fornication, adultery, homosexual practices, and other sexual sins. There is a whole list of them. We could, we could as that's not the point of the message, we could list many of things, these things. What's not explicitly stated, but I would like to suggest to you, is that there are plenty of things that lead to these things that aren't listed here explicitly, but are equally sinful because of where they're going to take you. In fact, we'll get to a little bit of that. The instructive passage I want to spend the rest of our time with this morning is from 1 Corinthians. Now, the letter to the Corinthians, the 1 Corinthian letter that Paul wrote, actually has several uh, pieces in it that talk about this whole issue of sexual immorality, which is what we have to talk about when we talk about human sexuality. But the particular passage I want to focus on is in uh, chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Now, we can pull verses, and we will pull a few verses from other places around the New Testament, but primarily we could build our entire statement of our faith and practice uh, on this regard, in this regard or this subject out of this text that we're going to read here just now. And I want to just spend some time uh, helping us walk through it and understand it. Paul writes in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I want to just take some time to walk through this. I'm guessing it's a passage you've read before. Perhaps you have good understanding of it already. If so, this will be a good review for you. It won't make much difference. If you have not ever walked through it or if you struggle with it or if you're not sure about it, hopefully today the Holy Spirit can use his word to clarify some things. And if nothing else, to strengthen some resolve in your heart to say, I have a new understanding of what God wants for me in my physical body. Let's begin with verse 12. Uh, just point a few things out, 12 and 13. I don't know if your Bible does this. I hope it does because it's very helpful. There's a few things in this letter where Paul is responding to things that they have written to him. This letter is a response to a letter that they wrote to him. And there's a few things that he writes and he puts them in quotes because it's a phrase he's responding to, either something they wrote to him or just a phrase of, that is used out there by people. And this is the case. When you look at verse 12, if you get confused by this, uh, if you don't have these quotes, it kind of makes it a little more difficult. If you look at verse 12, he uses this phrase, all things are lawful for me. I'll just stop for a moment because uh, if you think this was a problem only in, you know, first century Christianity, that's a phrase that we hear over and over again with people who claim to be New Testament believers in Jesus. 
if Jesus came to fulfill the law, then I'm free of it and all things are lawful for me. It doesn't matter what I do. He says all things are lawful for me. By the way, he does not necessarily say that's not true. Now, I believe fully that he would say things that are sinful are completely unlawful for you. So don't, not, but even if you're talking about some things that you may have questions about, is it, is, am, I, is, am I bound to this still or am I not bound to this? For them, those issues might have been eating meat, sacrificed to idols, for example. Things like that. All things are lawful. And he says, but not all things are helpful. And he says the phrase again, all things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. If you know the letter to 1 Corinthians, he actually uses an almost identical set of phrases or identical uh, verse in chapter 10 and verse 23. There he says, let me just read this so I can uh, read it for you specifically. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. The exact same first phrase. Second phrase, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things build up, not all things edify, not all things uh, help us to grow. I would suggest to us this morning as a way of getting into this teaching that not just for this teaching on sexual immorality, hear me please, not just for this teaching, but in general as guiding principles, Paul is laying out a few things for us. You may say, I'm free in Christ. There's lots of things that don't have a hold on me. I can do many things that I, that I previously maybe would have believed if I'm under a rules-based salvation that I could not do. And he says, you may in fact be right in some of that. However, as a guiding principle, let's understand that just because I can doesn't mean I should. Just because I can doesn't mean it's good for me. And he brings two specific guiding principles. Now, the second, I'm going to do the second one first because that's not the one I want to focus on for today's discussion. But he says, just because I can doesn't mean it builds me up. It helps me to grow. And I will tell you he is suggesting I would say rather strongly suggesting that if it doesn't build you up just because you can, you shouldn't. We have lots of those things in our, in our, in our areas of practice. Let me just say that. And I will, I will, I'm one of the first ones that will tell you, and if you know me, maybe you don't like this about me, I actually give a fairly wide freedom to many people on the, how they practice things. Because I am a firm believer that you need to be convinced of yourself that this is what Jesus requires of you. you not that I can, will tell you that this is what Jesus requires of you and then you do it because I told you to. But that you yourself are convinced of it. But I will not back away from saying just because lots of these things that we can talk about that you can do, that you should do them. Is it building you up? Is it helping you grow? The second thing I think is even more important with this discussion and in many things. Here in this text that I read to you, he says, well, there's lots of things I can do but I will not let anything rule over me, dominate me. And much of what we're talking about, certainly in today's discussion of sexual things, has an addictive nature to it and will very, very, very quickly be dominating over you. Again, I know I'm talking to a room full of people. I know there's those of us right here that will 100% agree with me and say, I have seen it in my life. What you and I may think is permissible, it's not so bad, may in fact be opening the door to something that will dominate us, that will rule over us, that will have authority over us. And Paul says, even if I can, if there's a chance that this brings something in that will eventually someday bring me to a place that is dominating me or ruling over me, I will not do it. Now the second phrase he says is an interesting phrase too. Again, you should see the quotes in this. This is back in chapter 6, verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. Now, in context of the discussion I believe that they were probably having, 
This is a statement made out of whether we can eat meat sacrificed to idols. And those claiming, and those saying, you know what? Food, it's for your stomach. You eat it, Jesus himself said it goes in your mouth. That doesn't make you unclean. It goes out. Stomach for food. That's, God gave you a stomach. You're hungry. You're food. You feed. There's, there's no more significance to it than that. And I tell you again, Paul is not necessarily disputing that. If you read Paul, you, you will hear him say, actually, he plays kind of both sides. He says, you're right. You receive with thanksgiving, eat whatever you want. At the same time, don't you ever think for a second it's okay for you to bring offense to somebody else by what you're eating. Now, in this discussion, I believe Paul does something different yet because he takes the root behind that phrase that says, oh, it's your stomach. It's part of your natural body. You need food. You fill it. What, what, that has nothing to do with Jesus. He uses the word koilia for stomach, which means an empty cavity. And I believe Paul is saying, I want to bring this to a different level of discussion. We're not just talking about our physical stomachs and saying, yeah, I get hungry, so I get food, and I fill it. And that has, but he's saying, there's an emptiness. There's a longing there's a cavity. And if you think for a second that it's helpful for you to just think, well, we have these natural cavities, these natural urges, these natural longings that have to be filled. And if I fill that in some natural means, that has nothing to do with my spiritual life. Food's for the stomach, stomach's for the food. Do you get what I'm trying to say? He's lifting it to a different level of discussion. He's saying, yeah, you talk about food and stomach, but I'm trying to tell you that if you will recognize that your body has, you might say, desires and longings, which I will tell you is the license given in our culture today for doing all kinds of sexual immorality. That's how God made me because I have these longings. And Paul says that statement, we must recognize what it is. Don't excuse you filling and, and say, well, I'm doing this and I, just, I, I can do whatever I want to. It has nothing to do with my spirituality. I can still be a believer. I can, I can still have a right relationship with Jesus. I can and we're going to come to the reason why I say that. I'm taking a long time to get to this. But he says, you need to realize one thing first. God will destroy both the longing and the thing given to fill the longing. Those are temporal things. I want to lift your discussion to things that are eternal. And, and, and long-lasting in nature. And then he goes on to say, by the way, your body, your physical body is part of that. Your physical body is part of that. Let me put the next uh, phrase up. Oops, I, I one behind you now. He says, your physical body is part of that. I'll put this phrase up here. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. This is the beginning of his statement of teaching. This is what we believe. This is what you should believe. This is what we do believe. This is what I'm telling you today. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but it's meant for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Now, I'm, I'm going to put up there every time the, uh, the, that this phrase appears in here, the word, uh, form of the word. Uh, this time it's pornaya. Uh, we're going to see a couple other phrases, a couple other variations of it. But it really is from the root pornos. I'm just going to, again, you know where we get, uh, what we get out of that word. Uh, but it really means, the, uh, the pornos, the word really means that, uh, that you sell something that you sell something, like the idea that, that you treat something as a commodity to get what you want. Now think of what that means, how we use that word. Today we're talking about our bodies and how we use our bodies. And he's trying to get us to see, the Bible is trying to get us to see that much of this discussion of sexuality boils down to using our bodies to get what we want, either to fill a need in us 
or to get something else using your body to get that. And he says that's not how it ought to be because the body's not meant for that. The body's meant for the Lord. Don't you know that God who brought Jesus' body, his physical body, out of the grave will also someday bring your body out and take it up to be with him? How can you ever say, how can we ever say that the body is separated from, from the spirit or that it's separated, it doesn't matter? He says, no, 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 no. God brought Jesus bodily out of the grave and took him to be with him and he gave you a body, a physical container, and that too will be resurrected and belongs to him. Do you not know? Do you not know that your bodies are members, are parts, are extensions, are limbs of Jesus? Think of Jesus' whole discussion. We were there a couple weeks, the last couple weeks. John chapter 17, abide in me. You're part of me, I and you. Me and, you and me, me and you. That we are part, we are members of Christ. And then he says, this is why I can tell you this is why I can tell you that you should not take a member of Christ. I'll just put this verse up here. I'm reading it. Shall I then take a member of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Members of porne? Something that's used to sell, to barter, to get what you want, to fill your longings? Does that make sense? Does that seem to fit what God is saying? Jesus said these words. Well, I should say this. The writer of Hebrews attributes these words from the Psalms to Jesus. God, you've prepared a body for me. You wrote about me long before I was born. You wrote all the days of my, of, of my life, of my, my, my physical body in the book before I was ever born. You've prepared a body for me. I'm here to do your will. I will tell you Jesus understood completely that his body belonged to the Lord God. Not just his spirit, not just his soul, but his body. Let me recap a bit. Paul's, Paul's statement here to us in regards to this teaching of how we should view our bodies and, and especially, particularly, the, the union. We're going to get to this a little more, but the, the un, what we do with our bodies in, this, in the realm of sexuality. He says the body is not meant for, for being sold. It's not meant to be used to get what you want. The body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body because you know that your body is a member of Christ. It's joined to Christ. We'll get to that in a little bit. And if it's joined to Christ, should we join it with a prostitute? Should we join it with something else? Should we join it with something that's immoral? Should we treat it? Should we not treat it like the things that God spoke through Moses about the, the country they were going into? That don't let any of that cling to you. Don't let any of that stick to you. And then he says, here's my proof. Based on what we learned in the Old Testament, what it means to daw back, to be joined, he says, don't you know that if you join yourself to a prostitute, that's, I wish I wouldn't use this word because we automatically think of a prostitute that's only like literally making money by doing what they do, but this, this word porne involves far more, far more than prostitution, much more. Because it's any time you use your body, any time you have this idea, well, the food is from the stomach, something for the food. Like I can use my body, it's got longings, I, do, I, I, do, I can do whatever I want physically to satisfy that or to get what I want. And it has nothing to do with my spiritual life. Because he says, don't you know that when you do that, when you join yourself in that way, that you become one, that you kolaho, you become glued together, you do back, you cleave, you hold fast, 
And when that happens with your physical body, it will inevitably begin to lead your heart away from God. There's no choice because you're, you're made a complete whole being. God designed you that way. You're made a complete whole being. He goes on to make state a truth that I'm, I, I, I'm putting it this way. And you haven't seen it on here, truth number one. There's going to be another one coming, but truth number one. Every other sin that we commit is outside the body. But this whole area of sexual immorality, of pornuo, of, of, uh, of what happens with our physical bodies in this, in this area, every, uh, that, that all has to do with, and he says it here, against his own body. I, don't, I wish it would be phrased differently in the ESV. It's actually the word ice, in or into. But it has the, the what, it, what, he, what he's trying to say, I'm, I believe, what he's trying to say is that we commit lots of sins and they affect our bodies, but they're out here and they maybe are put off. I mean, they affect our bodies. This is using our, this is in our body. This is our body. It's using our very body, what God, what we're gonna, that God made. We're gonna get to something else here in a little bit. That it's using that to actually commit the sin. I believe that's why God says it's at a different level. Also because of, we see this undeniable link between what happens physically and what happens in our hearts and happens spiritually. He goes on to say, he builds his second argument or second reason for why he takes the stance he does that our bodies are not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and that we should not, we should not make ourselves, we should not avail ourselves of those things. He goes on to say, well, kind of building on this, don't you know that your body is a temple? The reason I tell you so clearly that you should not join your body to something else, the reason I can tell you so clearly that every sin is outside the body, but sexual sin is different. It's inside the body. It's committed in your body, with your body, and that's, 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 that's a whole different level because don't you know that your body is a temple of God's Holy Spirit, that it dwells inside of you? If you want me to this morning, if you need to be convinced of how important that is to God, I can read to you from the Old Testament all the requirements for what the temple was supposed to be made of and how it was supposed to be laid out. Ernie could probably do it for us this morning. He could give us a good study on all the precious materials and the great lengths and the great details. You would say, stop, because it's getting boring, because it goes on and on for chapter and chapter of how precise and how exact. And what. But all that is to say, it meant something to God that where his presence dwelt must be pure, must be cleansed must be kept pure. In fact, if anything enters that, that, doesn't, that makes it impure, that, that should die immediately, and, and, and you have to go to great lengths to purify it again. It's not impossible. Hear me, please. Because many of us, many of us, have sacrificed at the idol of sexual immorality in this church. It's not impossible. But it's difficult. You must go to great lengths to purify Don't you know your body's a temple, the Holy Spirit within you? I've been skipping over a couple of verses for time's sake. You can read them there. I was going to have you guys read them for me. I think it's pretty well established. I don't think any of you argue with me. Paul writes in just a couple of chapters before that, that very definitively, your body is a, spirit for the, is a temple for the Holy Spirit of God. If you destroy that temple, God will destroy you. Which leads me to a second statement of truth. Are you ready for this? I've read these verses before. I know you've heard them before. Perhaps in a fresh way today, may they come to an awareness of what this really means.
Are you okay with this? You're not your own. Your body's not yours. Now you can, we can talk technicalities or trivialities or whatever you want, but the biblical scripture is fairly clear. You were bought. Your body was bought, paid for, a high price. Not with money, gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. I gotta be honest with you. I know where, my, I know where I'm at. I know how difficult this is. I don't want to be harsh or unkind. I don't want to be doubting. I don't want to be discouraging. I'm not sure how many of us really believe this deep down inside. That when Jesus paid for my sins, he bought my body. The entire thing. Think about it. He didn't just say, yeah, I'll take all the bad and the ugly, pay for it, and then you can have what's left. That was the payment. He paid for your sins so that what God created for good, this container with his spirit dwelling in it, can be his and is his. Perhaps in no other area in our church and I, when I say that, I don't mean necessarily just mean this specific one, but in our church, in no other area has the mindset of the world or the mindset of our culture around us so made inroads except for this, that we agree on many levels with them that I still maintain some control over my body. I still get to call the shots in some degree. If I have needs, surely no one else is aware of those and knows how to fill them except for me, and I can take care of it. And I should take care of it. And it's okay because it doesn't really affect my spiritual life. I hope today I have laid out the foundation of Scripture that tells you that simply is not the conclusion we draw from Scripture. The conclusion instead is this. If all of what I've read is true this morning, then you should glorify God in your body. Obviously, this discussion goes far beyond sexual immorality. There's plenty of other things we can talk about. But for today's discussion, and I will tell you, it's a big enough one on its own that we don't need to talk about other things. We need to recognize that when we join ourselves, when we kalaho ourselves, when we form intimacy, that's the, that's the act of kalaho, intimacy. That's the word I'm using. If when we form that intimacy with anyone other than our spouse, we, if we're not there already, we are edging towards sin. If you want to make an argument with me that while some of these things are lawful for you, I can tell you, that's fine if you want to say that. Are they helpful? Did they build you up? Are they dominating over you? And if I can give just real quick, I made a pretty definitive statement if it's not your husband, your spouse. If you are preparing for a marriage, I think you need to be very careful. Because you, by by necessity, as you're getting to know someone, you are beginning that journey down, down that road of intimacy. I, I would say by necessity. Because you, you want to know them, right? You don't want to, you don't want to remain strangers. 
but recognize these texts for what they are. There's great warning. Make sure the boundaries of your intimacy are in place so that you don't get led into a place where there's a lot more glue there than what you'd like. And if you're not preparing for marriage, I think the text is very clear. You have no business dabbling in anything of this. There's no reason for any of that intimacy. God has given the Davids of the world Jonathans. Maybe I should explain that statement. Friendship is a good thing. We have needs. I'm not, I'm not denying those things. We, we long to know people and have people know us. And There's a kind of intimacy, if you want to use that word, that you can have with a friend. But unless you're preparing to do what God has designed male and female to do as husband and wife, well, I've gone past my time and I probably shouldn't. I, I, maybe you want to hear more about it. I don't... I think we need to be very careful. Unless young people are sitting here thinking I'm being very heavy on you today and I am, I won't back away from it. I can tell you there's things I hugely regret that I did in my younger years that robbed my wife and I of intimacy and I don't want that for you. So I won't back away from telling you, take it seriously, take it seriously. Do not apply more glue than you want, or that it should, and what the Bible asks for. But in case you think I'm being too unfair, I want everyone to know that I don't exclude anyone in this room from the things I'm saying. We have marriages, and marriages change, and children bring different things into the picture and bring frustrations and bring, bring distance between husband and wife, and there's a longing that's created. And it's so easy for us to say, I can fill this some other way. And the text we read today tells us exactly why that's wrong. First and foremost, you've been joined to God. Second of all, if you're married, you've been joined to your wife or your husband. You've made a covenant to them. There's a reason that this has been the thing that brings devastation beyond belief to our culture and to our church because of the deep impact because of the way that it represents our relationship with God. And if the enemy can get that perverted and out of context and out of, then he's won a humongous battle. I want to read these verses. I closed my Bible, but I want to read these verses. I was going to read them as a benediction, or maybe I will, but I want to just read them before the benediction yet. I believe them. They're my heart's cry for us this morning in light of a message that maybe feels fairly heavy. Paul ended his letter to the Thessalonians, his first letter to the Thessalonians with these words. He did, not the very end, but they're at the very, uh, towards the end. May the God of peace himself sanctify you, sanctify you, set you apart, make you holy, 
sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If nothing else, I hope today have helped us to understand that there's a connection that we can't break between what happens in our physical bodies and what happens spiritually. Would you stand this morning and we're just gonna wrap our closing prayer together with this benediction. God, perhaps there's those of us here this morning that need to repent. If I am to ask for the prayer of Paul to say that, God, we ask for you to sanctify us completely, soul, spirit, and body, that we be prepared for Jesus to come. If I'm going to ask for that, then we have to be willing participants in that. And perhaps there are those of us here this morning that need to repent, that have come to realization. It's always perhaps there, but have come to realization that, that if I want that sanctification to happen, I have to say, God, I'm not in the right place, and I'm sorry, and I want to walk away from that, and I desperately need your help to do that. I desperately need my heart knit to yours. I want to join myself again. Maybe I've done it a hundred times. I want to join myself again to you today, and I would tell you, brother, and sisters, if we're here, you're standing. If that's you, I, I don't care what you do, but make it happen. If you want to walk up here right now and make it obvious to people that, that, that you say, I'm not ashamed of recognizing my shortcomings and the bondage in my life, but I need Jesus so desperately that I, I don't care what people say or think about me. I need him. I would invite you to come forward. I want you to, but to, Jesus is so worth it. He paid for your body, and if you've been using it shamefully, then let us say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want that anymore. I don't want that. It's I'm joining myself to something that it should not be. I'm committing adultery with you, God, and I don't want to. If that's you this morning, I beg of you, make it right with God. Your word assures us, God, that we will find grace at your throne. Oh, if in any area of our lives and of our churches and our families and our individuals, if there's any area that we need your grace desperately, it's in this area, God. We have been like the people of Israel and have treasured and clung to the false gods. It has led us into idolatry. It itself is idolatry because our hearts are given to something other than you. I ask today, God, I ask very specifically, God, you've said we can ask, and I ask very specifically, you say your word is a sword. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, in fact. It cuts, it divides. And I ask today that for those places we have joined ourselves to something in the realm of sexuality that ought not to be so, that your word today would be the, the, the thing that slices, that cuts that, that cuts it away from us. And then I pray, God, that we would, by the word of your grace, have our hearts joined to you.
Forgive us for the ways that we justify separating what happens physically in our bodies and what's happening spiritually in our souls. Forgive us for how we've tried to justify our actions by saying things are lawful or this may not be, this is not, this is not sin. I can't, I can't read this specifically in the Word. It's not sin. That may be true, God, but forgive us how our hearts who are bent towards sin are using that for an excuse to be led into sin. Forgive us for how we have tolerated sexual morality in our own hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our church. Again, I ask God as you separate, as you separate those things from us, may we be joined to you. Maybe we be restored to you. Give us the knowledge of how to and the grace to do, to do the hard work of repairing, of undoing what has happened if there's been too much glue, of, of, of healing, of joining properly to you. And if, if we have a spouse to our spouse, help us do the hard things the radical things. Jesus, I hear you saying, even this morning to us here, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It would be better for you to enter life, have enter heaven maimed than to miss it. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Those are radical things. Those are things by which everyone will know that I have this problem. If I gouge my eye out, Jesus, everyone will know that it caused me to sin and I'll be marked forever for no... And, and it's my pride that stops me from doing that. God, today, again, I ask for the boldness to say, I don't care what people think. I want rid of this. I want to be faithful to you and you alone. You were so radical for us, Jesus. Give us the desire, the knowledge, the ability through your grace to be radical for you. And I do pray, the words that Paul wrote, I do pray, God, you as the God of peace, that you would sanctify us completely. You would sanctify us completely and that our whole spirit and soul and body, spirit, soul, and body would be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We wait for you, Jesus. Both in moving in us now, but in that final triumphant culmination where you will be king. Acknowledge before all. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name.